We come to now the fifth letter in these seven letters that we have in the book of Revelation. And the reason we called this summer school is because we thought 2020 was an abnormal year. And you go to summer school when you have not done as well, perhaps, or you miss something. So you go to summer school to get caught up, brought up to speed, and perhaps get yourself ahead for the, the new school year to begin. And obviously, 2021 is not turning out to be the year that we thought it was going to turn out, but we continue to pray uh, for uh, our nation and pray for our world as this virus uh, continues to leave its fingerprints on us. So it's no surprise that we all can benefit from summer school. And today we pick up with this letter to the church at Sardis. Sardis has a rich history as a former capital of the Lydian kingdom there in Asia Minor. And I did not include a map this time, but um, if you could imagine Ephesus maybe being on this side of Turkey, um, Sardis would be about 20 miles south and east of Izmir. Those of you who were in the military know Izmir Air, Air Force Base or Air Base. Uh, it's inland, so it did not quite have the commercial impact of having an ocean side city, but it is known, those who are coin collectors, it's where solid coins were first supposedly created. The first solid coins of gold came from Sardis because that was their way of, you know, carrying money with them with uh, coins, which, of course, now we've almost gone away from not carrying coins. We were talking about in my office all the problems that get blamed, uh, that COVID gets blamed on. I was somewhere, and they said, thanks to COVID, we don't use change. I'm like, COVID? I guess because of putting your germs on it. In any event, Sardis was this city that was so wealthy in the 6th and 7th century B.C., that now by the time of this letter's writing, 90 to 95 AD, they have lost their bid for being the political capital of Rome in Asia Minor. Uh, we noticed that Ephesus and Smyrna were those competing cities. And they'd even lost the opportunity to build a temple to Tiberius so they could have emperor worship there. So like the church that Jesus says is perhaps dying, or at least it looks like it's so asleep that it's dead, the city is somewhat dying as well. So for that very reason, uh, each of these uh, cities or each of these letters often get attached with words. In fact, Pierce and I were talking about it this week, uh, that both Pergamum and Thyatira could be called compromising churches. Uh, this church is often considered to be called the dead church or the dying church. But because I'm from southern Illinois, where Louisville, Kentucky, if I'd gone to seminary at Southern Seminary, I'd had to go north. So I am a southern Yankee, if there is such a thing. Will you consider yourself being from St. Louis from the south or not, uh, Wade? No, I'm looking at Wade behind you. Wade, you're a true up Yankee from Wisconsin. Did you hear how she said it? I'm from Wisconsin. She's been in Texas long enough, she should say, I'm from Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin. How about from St. Louis, Wade? I, I think there's a split there. There's a split, yeah. <laughs> so, would you have ever heard the term playing possum? Well, I got a video clip so you understand. I'm going to call this the possum church. Here we go. Well, kids wanted a puppy, but they can be really expensive. So, to save money, I just found them a possum. I think he's dead. 
Probably just playing possum. There he is. There's an easier way to save. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. So could it be that that church was just playing possum? And could it be that sometimes our church right here, First Baptist Church of Lotus, is playing possum? It looks dead. It's really alive somewhere inside. And hopefully we wouldn't get up and snarl at uh, visitors or those who would come by. But uh, Jesus is saying in this book, uh, this letter, that they need to wake up. Third chapter of Revelation. In the past few weeks since we've been doing this, I've been asking you to stand. So it's kind of unique for Baptists or some Baptists. But uh, if you can stand, please do so. We'll look at verses 1 through 6, the church in Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. That would be the completeness, the, the Holy Spirit of God. And the seven stars, that's the seven churches. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, as we look at a passage that strikes us right between the eyes. Many times we have been more possum-like pretending than doing. Awaken us. Let your Holy Spirit convict, console, and challenge us to live for the Savior who has redeemed us, that we might walk with Him and that our names will not be blotted out and that, Lord, we will be face-to-face -face in glory with you. Touch us in this moment, we pray, for we ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Now, reminding you of the—please be seated. Uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, reminding you of the framework that we've been using these previous letters. We're talking first a report card, and Pierce even mentioned last week, please, I am not trying to sound like I am in a position to give a report of any church, but these are some assessments we can make from these verses. But we're looking at a report card, we're looking at homework that each church has gotten, and then the reward that each church has promised if they'll simply do their homework and do the things that they've been asked to do. So let's just go right into it, and you can see the report card that I give to uh, this church at Sardis. Biology, C minus. Physiology, D+, plus, and home economics, C+. Plus. And I think that makes an average of a C-, minus, uh, if you're really giving points out there. Which is funny, I think even your grading scale, they're all averaging around C. <laughs> so they're all average, these are all average churches. Hmm. 
That may be a, a sermon for the eighth church that be our church, but let's, be, let's start with the, the bio, biology. Uh, biology, the study of, of life, is what biology is. I had Bob Niebuhr as my uh, high school uh, biology teacher. He actually took biology one and biology two because I didn't want to take, uh, like, I think we had chemistry and physics. If you were a senior, you either took physics or you took biology two. But uh, Jesus says that this church is not alive. He uses the Greek word nekros. You are dead. Nekros. You are dead. In fact, most commentators at this point point out the fact that Sardis had a gigantic necropolis. Fancy word for ancient city cemetery. I'll tell you, every city's got a cemetery. Almost not every church, but a lot of country churches have cemeteries right beside the church, right? And why do we have cemeteries? To remember, to, to honor, to say this is what's happened. These, these are those that we have loved, this, to remember them. But like the church at Sardis, they recall the glory of the past. And, and maybe these church members were living in the glory of the past, becoming like remembrances gathered in that necropolis. They knew the names of the charter members of their church. They knew the founding pastor. They'd been there on the high attendance Sundays when people actually had to stand in the aisle. They'd given their money to help build the building there at Sardis. They had attended the revivals when a number of lost were saved and redeemed. They'd helped with the poor, the homeless, the hungry, the grieving. They had built that church and its reputation, but now they had become complacent. Satisfied with their former deeds, Jesus says, you look like you're alive, but you're really dead. It's time to wake up. You know, I had a chaplain assistant when I was deployed uh, a few years, years ago. Now it's all a lot longer ago. I guess that's like, what, I don't know, a long time, 15 years ago. Uh, but he could not wake up. And he would send to us with paperwork to say, remember, this guy can't wake up. So uh, my NCYC made sure that one of the staff sergeants helped him get a bunch of alarm clocks and there in his little tent life, you know, on a deployment, he had all these wind-up alarm clocks and he kept still oversleeping and not showing up. A great kid when he woke up, but he stayed up late at night, consumed a lot of Mountain Dew on that deployment and he would fall asleep. I got a son that does the same thing. And, and you know, the, the deal with this airman in a war zone, if he didn't stay awake, the mission could fail. In the same way, if you've got an adult child like I an adult child, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Maybe it is the truth, though. Uh, if you've got people who can't wake up, they won't be able to keep their jobs, right? And if you've got a church that is asleep and acting like they're dead, the mission of Christ will fail. We are in a war zone. It's a different type of war zone. We're in a spiritual war zone. And if you're asleep, if you're playing possum, the world has a way of overtaking us. The study of biology could be applied to a church. Look at the life of this church and see if we are asleep. And do we need to wake up? Because if not, the mission of First Baptist Church of Lotus will fail. Are there people in need next door to you? Are there people hungry, people hurting, people grieving? Wake up. And live out the faith that we've been called to live. D plus in physiology. Now, 
Once again, I probably, in my normal writings, would use those words synonymously, but they're not synonymous. Physiology is a study of the internal organs and cells and tissues within the body, often more confined to humans. But I give us a D plus because it could be that Sardis, like Ephesus, that first letter, had left its first love. And they had a heart problem. They had left the love of Christ for the love of the world. And it could be that they have a heart condition. And I may be out on a limb here, but I think without cardio work, the heart atrophies. If you don't work out the life of the church, the heart, the lifeblood of the church, the church dies. Christian, if you don't live out the Christ that's in your heart, you too will be weakened in your faith. Jesus says you're at risk of dying if you remain asleep. And he says, some of you, look at verse 2, some of you have unfinished work. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. In fact, instead of a D plus, I maybe should have given them an incomplete. They had not finished what they needed to do. I have so many projects around my house that uh, are unfinished, whether it's car projects, things in the garage. I've mentioned this before. I mean, every time I go in my garage, I get de depressed. I mean, I got pieces of furniture. I got a piece of furniture that I need to restore. I got a door that Brenda got from her dad's house before we sold the house. She wants me to strip it off and do something with it. I got a door that, I have a door inside the ho my house that has a crack in it. You know, you, those hollow field doors, you know, we got a couple of those and one of them cracked. So I need to fix that. So I have the new door in the garage. So, I mean, I can look in my garage and think of all the projects that are unfinished. Christ says to the church, you have some unfinished work. Last week, Brenda was watching Abel, who's right here, and she got a puzzle one day. And did we have that puzzle already, or you bought that puzzle? Okay. A glow-in-the-dark puzzle. I think you should put it together in the darkness, but that's not the way you put it together in light and it glows in the dark. And of all the projects we had in the house, that became primary. Bear with me. Why? Because he has her and my heart. The things that have your heart, you will put priority in your life. If Christ, if your heart is for him, working for him, completing his works, doing the things he's called you to do, you will apply yourself. Let Christ tap into your heart and then you will complete work for him. C plus for home economics. Now, I know that one of my sons took home ec in high school. And, of course, in <laughs> Judd Lavin, in our generation, they didn't take home ec. You know, only the girls took home ec, right? But just side note, because I started Googling home ec and the history of home ec. Home ec was original. well, at least the one origin, I can't remember her name. She was a MIT grad that wanted to use the basics of home health, keeping the home strong and making things in life, you know, successful because of what was going on in the home. So home economics was a far greater subject than what many of us give it credit for. In fact, as I was reading, you know, I start bird, you know, what do you call that? You know, going down the squirrel and going down the rabbit hole. Um, 
the lady who started that, they attributed to some of her work to helping the, the astronauts who had the space food. Her work in home ec helped that happen, you know, astronauts having something to eat in space. Well, back to home ec for the church. Jesus says there's a few of us that have soiled clothing. Well, I would like to think the soil on our robes is from getting on our knees in the grass and praying for someone or getting down and helping and working with someone. But so often we have soiled ourselves with the things of this life, with a heart that has not been committed to him. It's been given to something else. But I will remind you this. And the reason I said home ec, because I often think of laundry and I think of cooking and those kind of things at home ec. And please don't hold that against me because all of them are great things. You got to do them. Um, but when it comes to the launderer of your soul, Isaiah one eighteen comes to mind. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Work your faith at home. Start by forgiving whoever offended you today on the way to church. Because there's somebody here that was sitting with somebody in their car, and they got angry on the way to church. It's happened to me. Somebody got mad at me. I was never mad at anybody, but I'm sure somebody got mad at me. Maybe you got mad at the breakfast table this morning with somebody, or maybe you got mad last night at supper, or maybe somebody did something to you in the week in your family. Practice home ex of spiritual living at home. It will spill over. It will influence not only how you live in your home, but how you live in your neighborhood and at work. And people will be touched by your home economics. All right, another home, we'll go to homework. Uh, let's let you see all three of them. These are very similar. They're repetitive to the other letters. Remember, just like Ephesus, it says, remember what you have received. Remember how high you were. And we talked about uh, that's like three weeks ago. We talked about the excitement of your initial conversion. When you first received Christ and you confessed and you felt the sin, the weight of the world off your shoulders. He says, remember, remember, remember the promises you've made. Remember the commitment you've made. And second, obey, obey it. Ephesus says, remember the things that you did at first. Remember when you used to go to Sunday school. Remember when you Back in the day, you used to go to training union. Remember when you had weekly visitations? You, we may not have a formal weekly visitation here, but you sure could have a weekly schedule of yourself and, and saying, I'm calling so-and-so. I saw Joyce Brooks earlier. Tom Brooks was probably our most faithful caller that this church has ever had. Got to see him a few weeks ago. Uh, Tom would call people and check in with them. You don't even have to leave your home. You can still check in with somebody that wasn't here with you today in services. And perhaps they're at home because of COVID. That's fine. But let them know somebody cares for them and that they were missed. Obey it. Do the things you did at first. Obey him. And then repent. Same homework that Ephesus had, Pergamum and Theratira had. Repent. Repent for all the things that you have done that were not in God's plan for you. Not how God would have you to live. And then finally, when you obey, obey, and repent... Remember, obey, and repent. You can have this idea, if you go to this next one, I think, of the reward. Now, I, go ahead. You throw them up there. The, the next, I think I have three up there. Maybe I don't. Walk. Sharpie and vouch. I have to have cue words that make me think. 
Uh, Brenda wants to walk daily, and Cliff doesn't always agree because life happens. It's just like you're supposed to work out, I mean, three times a week, and you end up working out. Well, I mowed the grass. That was a workout, right? Um, but for every time we walk, the spiritual, emotional, and physical benefits are immeasurable. For us to talk with one another, even if we perspire a little bit, you know, it's hot in Texas. The benefit of that walk together pays long-term dividends. Jesus says in this passage, if you do all these things, part of your reward is to walk with me. I will walk with you, he says. And when I first read this over and over, I, I was getting fixated more on the white robe. And then I thought about working out. And, you know, there are people who spend more time picking out their workout clothes than they ever work out in the gym. There are people who wear workout clothes all day long, and they never come close to a gym. So Jesus is not necessarily uplifting the white robe to you. He is saying, you'll get that, but if you walk, if you do all these things, I will walk with you. I will walk with you. C.S. Lewis, many of you know the writings of C.S. Lewis, and I've kind of done this own internal suspense thing. I am going to read more of C.S. Lewis. I found another book this week because I, once again, went down a different hole. Letters of C.S. Lewis that he wrote to a friend. But in reading some of that, I learned that he had his own kind of pastoral confidant, mentor, spiritual leader, if you will. And that man's name was Walter Adams. He was, this is in the 1940s. And he talked to him and, and his writings, he talks about walking with Jesus. Let me read you what Reverend Adams says. We can advance along the road to perfection only by walking close with Jesus. And as we watch in his way of dealing with the countless problems, we achieve wisdom on how to meet our own. But to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and soils our work. It never advances it. How many times we jump out of bed, get to the shower, get the first cup of coffee, and we are out the door. Spend time, tarry with the Lord. I love that. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and soils our work. It never advances it. So walk with Jesus. Second, everybody know what a Sharpie is, right? Let me play a video clip. What am I going to look like? You are going to look like a beautiful princess. Oh. Do I look like a flower? <laughs> hey, 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 buddy. Mom, hey, oh. kid. Hi, honey. Hey. Mom, no, 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 it's totally washable. It's, um, that's a Sharpie. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear. Now, Sharpies didn't come out until the 60s, but a permanent marker is what Jesus says that they're going to use in the book of life for his followers. Their names will not be wiped out. I mean, if, if you've ever had a Sharpie on something you didn't want to have it on, 
you know the permanence of a Sharpie. I have an old ball glove that my dad wrote my name on. It wasn't with a Sharpie. It was probably before Sharpies were created. I think it was with a Bic ink pen over and over and over making the C, over and over making the L, over and over making the I. And it's on the thumb on that ball glove. And I want you to know that autograph of my father, of my name, is worth more than any pop fly I ever caught in Little League. Because I probably missed a bunch of them too. But to know that my name has been written in permanent marker by the hand of the Savior means that Christ will never blot out my name. And finally, he will vouch for me. Look at that verse. I will never blot out your name from the book of life, but acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Now, the word, and those of you know, I... I I like to look at the Greek half the time. I don't know the words. Some I remember from 100 years ago when I took Greek. But this is the word that the NIV translates acknowledge. Um, it is the word homologios. Same word. It is the word that translates into our modern English to agree, to confirm. He is saying the same thing. He is vouching on our efforts, on our work, on our relationship to the Father. Have you ever had anybody vouch for you? Feels pretty good, right? I mean, I, I can look out here and probably call people's names. And if I said, hey, I vouch for him, I vouch for her, they'll do that, they'll do that. You probably say, well, the preacher, he's going to endorse anybody. He'd think I won't come back. No, I wouldn't do that, you know. And if you vouch for me, that's a pretty good feeling to know you've vouched for me. But to know that the Father hears the word of the Son vouching our names is powerful. I read this illustration this week, and I wish it was newer, but I'm just going to tell it's, it's a true, true story. But it happened, you know, for some of the young people and some that are younger than I, you go, ah, that's like 1930s. But... Recovering from the Great Depression, uh, Paul Leonard was a student at Ohio State University. He said his father had died when he was 12. His mother could not see, and she still encouraged him to go to college, to be an engineer. And he said he got there, and he washed dishes in the school cafeteria. He drove a taxi at night. And, you know, to make it through college, just to get there, to live, to eat, to exist, was, was, you know, work every moment, every day. And he said one day, he was in the school cafeteria carrying a tray of food, you know, and somebody had left their tray, and he spilled it over a professor. Gravy all over this professor's suit. He said, oh, sir, I'm so, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I, I will have it dry cleaned. And the professor looked at him and said, I don't think you can dry clean this particular kind of suit. So he said, well, I'll do whatever it takes. I, 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 I promise I'll, I'll make things right. And he you know, tried to wipe it off. Of course, just made it worse. And you can imagine that. Those of you who have ever done anything similar to that, he's probably feeling that tall. He said, what made it worse? Two hours later, I was sitting in the class that he was teaching. There, that gravy-stained suit kept going back and forth on the platform, thinking, why, oh, why am I here? And finally, he said, at the end of the class, 
the professor said, Mr. Leonard, would you remain behind as everyone was dismissed? And he said, Mr. Leonard, how do you expect to make this right? He said, well, sir, I, I guess I'll buy you a new suit if you can't dry clean that one or get it fixed, get the gravy out. He said, well, <clears throat> meet me at such and such. And he said he knew from that city that that was one of the most expensive men's clothing stores in town. So he said after whatever time they had set up, he showed up, and there he was. And obviously this professor had gotten suits there many times because he knew the tailor. And he said, Mr. Leonard is here to buy a suit for me because he soiled mine. And Paul said, well, I will, but I'm going to have to pay for it on time. And at that point, he said, the professor said, I will vouch for you. I will make sure that this guy knows, this tailor knows that you will pay even if it takes you several weeks or months to get it paid for. And once the tailor said, okay, the professor looked at Mr. Leonard and said, you know what? I think Paul needs a suit just like mine. And furthermore, I'm going to pay for my suit and pay for Paul's suit because I have vouched for him. And the concluding line to that story as I was reading it is that, God, for us, took a soiled suit that we soiled, not somebody else, and says, I am offering you a new garment. I am washing your sins away and saying, you can walk with me. I will vouch for you, and I will dress you in a robe of forgiveness. So, do your homework. Remember his sacrifices. Obey him and repent. Would you stand with me, please? We pray. Our fathers, we come now to a time of invitation in this service. And we know that uh, we've barely scratched the surface of this powerful letter. But many times we have played possum in church. You know, we've sat there on the pew and didn't sing the songs, didn't pray the prayers, didn't even look up the passage of Scripture. Lord, we've had church and been possum many times. I pray that you would awaken us this day. If there's someone here who has never accepted Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior, let them say the alarm clock is ringing. I want to wake up and follow you. Lord, if there's somebody here who just wants to come to these steps and pray, we have others in our congregation that will gladly join them and pray with them. We ask you to move now, Lord, in our, our midst. Let your, let your spirit be felt and let your people respond. For I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.